Hi, welcome to Beyond the Walls podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Ramika. And I'm Kylie. And yes, we're sisters. We're going to share stories about our life and growing up together and some personal walls we've overcome. We hope you laugh a lot. You honestly might cry a little. But our hope is that maybe you'll be inspired to go beyond the walls in your way too. So grab your coffee or tea and come on in. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls. So today we're talking about loft energy. And it's actually a phrase that Kylie came up with. We were at one of our work sessions. And for those of you who are also following me over on my home decor account on Instagram within Warm Walls, she was literally referencing my loft when I put up the paneling. Okay, so you guys, if you've seen it, if you haven't, go find it at Within Warm Walls. She has this loft space with four, you did three walls, three complete walls. She decided to panel it one day. And the next day she bought all the paneling, a saw of some kind to get it to the right size. You had to figure out how to nail it to the wall. Are you going to glue it or nail it? Then you had to stick it on the wall, sand it, paint it. Meanwhile, she's vacuuming in between like every step. She's vacuumed a thousand times because she's creating all this dust in her house. And I just could not believe it. I actually happened to be there the weekend when she had started it. And I stayed for an overnight and left. And I think like by that Thursday, you'd already posted it and completed it, had it all cleaned up and ready to go. And I just could not get over how quickly you had handled <laughs> that room. Like it was shocking. I've never in all my life worked that hard on anything. And I think when we were sitting there, we were talking about this locked energy, you know, this type A where you just are passionate and you go Mm. for it and get stuff done. When you have a, you have something in your mind that you're going to do, you do it. Mm. And so, and I'm trying to grow in that. It's something that it's so hard for me to do that. I just, I want my comfort. There's just nothing I want to do in life that I have to work that hard for, but I want to, I want to become just like you when I grow up. (laughs) And so, but I think what was super cool about that when we were having that conversation was how it how obvious it was where you were coming more from a place of strength hmm. and security and not coming from an unhealthy place but like purely just out of your own drive you there was so much of that project that you loved for sure but also you were willing to just persevere because you just have a lot of perseverance and strength in you hmm. when you're doing something physically difficult right so what was that like for you tell me about the loft energy that weekend when you're paneling Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. I think that was like one of the projects in my life where it was definitely coming from a place of security. Like I was just excited. And I naturally like I think there's part of it that's like nature and nurture. And without trauma, my nature is to just grind and perform and produce like there's just this beyond. You're like, here's a goal. (laughs) I'm gonna beat it. I don't know. I'm also perfectionist. So I'm like, I don't know that I'm doing it well. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, there's this constant drive. And it's like this reward loop. You know, when I see myself accomplish something like it just gives me even more energy. And I move even faster. And it's that much faster when it's also coming from a place of strength and security. And you know, I'm just excited. And that was the law for me. And all at all angles, it was physically exhausting. Yeah. But 
I was so excited to do this first project. I had no clue. It was mentally, a lot of the labor was mental because I knew nothing about this DIY. At every step I had to research and yet it was still so fulfilling for me. I loved it. I loved every second. So much fun. So when I was, you know, when I sat with you that night, I think it was so encouraging to see how far you've come and being able to see you work that passionately from a place of strength, because there was a time not so long ago, right Mm. after you moved to Texas. Okay. Talk about it. All right. This girl, right. So we've talked about how it's just, it's hard, right. To be able Mm. to be in that space of need. If you can physically do it yourself, why ask? Mm. And so you had to move apartments suddenly Mm -hmm. and tell me about that. Why don't you tell them how it went down? Yeah, I did have to move. It was not a good situation with this apartment when I first moved. And so I ended up moving into an apartment that was closer to Kylie and the family. So glad she did. It was so good. And it was going well for a while, actually. Um, It was a great location. You know, there were so many good parts about living in that apartment, but it just wasn't a, a good situation about five months in. And I ended up having to break my lease. Um... And they gave me, it was like something like 15 to 30 days to, you know, pack everything up and leave. Yeah. And while you're still working a full-time job. Yeah. And you had your Instagram thing going. I had just started within warm walls, maybe a year prior. So a lot of starting a company like this on Instagram is a lot of just grinding in the beginning stages. You're producing very quickly. You don't know what you're doing. There's a huge learning curve. And so I was still doing a lot of work for Within Warm Walls, but then I was also working a full-time job with the company I transferred here with um, Monday through Friday, you know, all day. And I ended up packing up my entire apartment in two days. I had 15 days to do it. And who helped you? (laughs) See, that's... That's what she wants to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have lots of options for help? (laughs) I did. You did. I did. There were so many people. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I look back at that time and I'm just like, man, like, you know, I can see it now because I am in a different place. But at the time when I first moved here, like, Actually, for the years prior, I think this was the first situation I was in where I could no longer run or avoid the uncomfortability of having to depend on someone and see how our relationship would play out. Would it still, would they still be there? Would they not still be there? Because before it was just easy for me to justify, like when I would pour in or do a lot of things for people you know, they were friends and friends have a season. And so it's okay if those friends leave you. But because of my childhood, because of going through adoption, because of all of these, you know, traumas, whether that's little T trauma or a big T trauma, I walked away with a deep, I think at my core, I have a deep fear of abandonment. Mm -hmm. And so in spaces where I need to depend on other people to do something for me in 
when I'm coming from a place of insecurity, my deepest fear is, am I going to be burning a bridge? Like that's the constantly, that is the first question in my mind. Like if I ask someone to do something for me, when I physically can do it myself, even if what I am about to get ready to do is physically exhausting or demanding, like that is secondary to me. The primary fear and the questions that I'm asking myself is, will that put this relationship at risk? And in our relationship, we had never done that before. Like I had never been in a place where I even needed to, or the opportunity, there was never an opportunity even for you to need to step in for me in case of an emergency. Yeah. Yeah. So this was all new. Yeah. And I think packing my apartment, it wasn't that I didn't think that you would help or that you could. I think you even called. Did you call? Yeah, I think, well, because it happened so suddenly, because I feel like you were still maybe a week out from having to actually move. And I think I, we saw you earlier that week. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd mentioned a couple of times, like, if you need help, let Mm -hmm. me know. And finally, it was like a few days in and I'm like, she has to like, I have to be able to help her. Like I probably (laughs) even had the thought and knew enough about your dynamic to be like, she's probably not going to ask me for help. And so I think I called you one night and I was like, what are you doing? And let me help you. You know, can I come over? And you're like, if you want to come over, you can, but you don't have to. I'm working and this is what, this is what I'm doing. It's up to you. If you want to come over, you can, right? I was like, yeah, I'm going to come then. I'm going to go through Starbucks. What can I get you to drink? And you're like, nothing. I don't even want to drink from you. (laughs) Yep, that sounds about right. That tracks. So I show up in this apartment completely shocked again, completely packed. Like boxes everywhere. There was hardly even a place to sit. And I think that's actually was part of it. You're like, well, there's nowhere for you to sit. So you don't even need to come over. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. Cause in my mind, if you had nowhere to sit, like I can't even take care of you. Like if you are here, like not only are you going to be doing all of this stuff for me, but like to ask you to do all of this stuff for me, like physically, like intensive labor in my mind, And then also, I can't even take care of you. Like, I have nothing to offer you. My food, I have no food. I packed everything or I had to throw everything away because I can't move with refrigerated food. I have no place for you to sit. I can't even offer you a blanket. Like, everything is packed. Like, that is like in my insecure state of being, like in my most insecure state of being, our relationship is at risk. And that is the zone, like that is the degree or the extreme of fear that I genuinely feared in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think helped you, you know, looking back on that time, because we definitely, I mean, I remember coming over and I was just like, I'm not having it. I'm coming over and Mm -hmm. I don't even care where I sit. I'm going to sit on the ground. And I think you still had a couch. I mean, it really wasn't even uncomfortable. I had my warm drink and I had a couch to sit on. Yeah. She doesn't even know behind the scenes. I moved all of the boxes around the apartment so that I could like all of the boxes were on that couch. I had, I literally had nowhere for her to sit. And so when she was coming over, I was like, no, I don't want to drink. Like I don't even have a place for you to sit. But then in my mind, when she said she was coming, like I knew she was going to follow through. And so I had to rearrange everything. I think I even had to create a pathway because there was just no way for her to get in at this point. Yeah. So how did we, 
I'm trying to think from that time. I did not know that until just right now. I can't believe it. I can, but I'm so proud of you for where you you. are now. Let's just take a minute. Like, I love our (laughs) friendship. I love that we have been able to work through this and the Mm. safety and the security. And I think just as a side note, this is off script, (laughs) y'all. Like, we did make a commitment in the beginning to just, we were going to do our best to lean in and trust that we were family Mm-hmm. And we were friends mm-hmm. and we were committed to each other enough that we were just going to see it through and whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And I think there was never a moment in those early days that I was not 100% committed to creating a safe space for the two of us mm-hmm. where I get to show up unapologetically and you get to show up unapologetically. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, I don't even remember all the things that we had a lot of, we had a really great talk that night when I did come over and feel Mm -hmm. like it was kind of just that first beginning layer of really kind of hitting the, this emotional wall of how are we going to push through where you can just not apologize for having a totally normal need. Like that's not a normal scenario Mm -hmm. where it would be taken advantage, like in no way, shape or form is you moving and you being responsible for your stuff and also having help inappropriate in any way, right? Like Mm. that's not taking advantage of anybody. It's not something that you're going to cross a line over. I don't remember. Do you remember that? Like, what was that like? Honestly, like there's still a part of me that gets triggered by Mm. that situation right like I still have to mentally tell myself you are okay you are safe you trust this relationship you know like I have to remind myself of truth and I think that's a big thing for me like to stop in order to cut that cycle that loop that I have ingrained in my upbringing right like there are stories And there are memories from my childhood that ingrained that state of being. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is my own responsibility. There's nothing you can say you can do at a certain point, right? Like there are moments where you can reassure and I think we'll get to that. But there has to be a personal responsibility on myself to stop that loop, right? Like I have to stop. And I just have to go back and remind myself of what is true. Yeah. And in that moment where I'm reminding myself of what is true, I, it feels like I'm lying to myself, Mm. right? Like it is so hard to trust, but trust in that moment, in that space for me looks like, what did she say? Mm. What did she tell me? And just take her at face value. Yeah. And that is so hard because I think the immediate response for myself is to cycle back through that loop and tell myself and justify and backtrack and, you know, come up with all these reasons why what she told me was not true. She doesn't actually believe it. And she was lying to me. And so I can't operate in that space. Mm. And everything in me wants to go back into that loop, but I have to stop and I have to consider what did Kylie actually tell me? And what she told me was if she cannot do something, she will tell me this, I can't do this. And because she knows of how much of a trigger it is, she also 
said that if she can't do something, she will always give me the reason why she can't do it. Yeah. That way I'm not left in this space of like questioning, is she mad at me? Is she not mad? Am I asking for her for too much? Like, I feel like you've always done a great job of being like, if you can't do it, which honestly, I feel like it's like 0.1% (laughs) of any time I ask, because I honestly still probably don't ask. You shared that more recently too. Like, I don't ask you for a lot, but even in those spaces where I have ever asked you for anything during this time, you've been really good about saying if when you can't do it, and this is the reason why, and it never has ever had anything to do with me. It was never personal. Yeah. And so I think communication has been a really big thing. Like it's on me to stop that track in my mind. That is my personal responsibility. Like if I'm going to choose to not trust what you actually said, then that's on me, me cycling through me taking it on myself. Like there's nothing you can do to help me if I'm unwilling to take you at face value. Yeah. And I think the part in our relationship where it's where you've taken personal responsibility to like consider my needs and the trauma that I'm bringing to the table too, because it's a lot of, it's a lot because of the trauma. Yeah. You go the extra mile in the way that you communicate with me. And you're very clear in your communication and you say exactly what you will do and you always follow through. And that's huge because that has over the course of the two years, over two years now that I've been here, it's built this really solid foundation. Like over time at first it was like, I don't know if I'm just choosing, I am choosing to hold on (laughs) to what she said. Yeah. And I just, that's all I have. I can only hold on to what she said. And now it's like, I don't even question if what you're saying is true or not. It's so quick, you know? (laughs) It's so true. It is. I think that's Because I remember even as we're thinking about it, I was like, oh yeah, I do remember that. Like, I remember a lot in the early days, probably almost every conversation we had on the phone, kind of some of that same Mm. language, right? Of just like, I'm here for you if you need anything Mm. or you're nowhere this is there's this is not a boundary right like i'd be like this is not (laughs) something right that you i can do this for you i wouldn't be upset i'm available what do you need you know and i think even helping you to put words to a request right i think it was Mm. just so not even like it was not a natural reaction to even assume that you could have a request yeah, right? I don't even know that I knew the format of asking for help. Yeah, you're like, it's it was true. just such a foreign concept. You're like, it never even, it's not even something you had to stop yourself from doing. It wasn't there at all. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> you could see it on my face if we were talking like face to face. I, it wouldn't have even come to mind. No, <laughs> it's true. And then to ask, you're like, why would I, why would I ask you to do anything that if I can, if I can do it all by myself, I am not asking a soul for anything. And I think as a relational person, right, I think that was kind of even in those early days where I'm like, then I'm hurt, right? Where I'm like, I want to have a a relationship. I want to be able to serve you. Like, I couldn't have my needs met to Mm -hmm. then do the things that I needed to do to be Mm -hmm. a good sister, right? Well, I'm the big sister. Like, this is how I'm supposed to perform as a sibling. And I can't even do my job, you Mm -hmm. know, like, which again is then my issues, right? And so how did we both have to not... um, take responsibility for each other's 
character or wherever we were, like, how did we both just own what we were believing about ourselves or believing about the other person? And I think that there was a lot of conversations in those early days of just reassuring each other and creating that safe space. Yeah. Communication so, is so, I know people bring it up. It almost has become a cliche over time that like you really, if you want a solid relationship and this is any kind of relationship and I know I'm not married, so Kylie can affirm if this is true or not. But what I hear all the time with marriages, relationships, at the baseline, you have to figure out how to communicate and not just communicate in the way that you're comfortable communicating because it moving here to Texas and talking to Kylie looks so different than even the way that me and Colin, our brother, I communicate to him. And it looks so different than how I communicate with my dad. And it needs to be that way. And I'm sure it looks different for how you communicate with Lee in your, you know, your marriage, because you have to communicate and meet the other person with where they're at. Each person has different needs. And I think that's something that has been so powerful that I've learned from you has been how do I it is okay that we all have needs and how do I communicate to this person what my needs are yeah and not apologize about it yeah I don't need to apologize because we all have them yeah so how do we get on the same page yeah and it looks and it's supposed to look so different yeah yeah I I even think about, um, because I want to go back to the point that you made just about how, you know, when I first got here and how you would just even give me the language and how much patience you had with me, you know, in those space. And I think that even as though this couldn't get worse or even more entangled (laughs) in my mind coming from a place of deep insecurity and fear of being abandoned in the relationship because that's my baseline when, you know, the trauma is at the front end. I needed the language and you were willing to take the time to just explain to me and walk me through what that looked like and how many times we just assume with other people that they should be able to understand where I'm coming from because this is just common sense, right? Like I should, I am in my twenties. I should I am a full adult, be able to communicate to you what my needs are and how I express them. But you never had that expectation for me and you didn't make me feel bad about it. I never felt stupid, Mm -hmm. you know, or less than. And that is something that I really think in an unspoken way also fostered a lot of trust Mm -hmm. in our relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think you know, what helped that because I look at that time and I'm like, boy, I don't, I don't even remember doing that. You know, like, I don't remember it being a burden. I don't remember having to put a lot of effort into it. It just kind of came out. Cause I think we, I just knew how committed you were and how much you were willing and able to fight for the relationship. Right. And I think that brought mm. a lot of security for me of knowing how much you like it. You really actually really cared about that was your heart was protecting the relationship. Right. Yeah. And that's probably really where it came from. Like you were so committed to this family and this relationship and coming where you were and knowing so much of how 
unfamiliar it was. And it was unfamiliar to me too, right? There was a lot of us in the beginning days of just, boy, how do we live with family right next door to each other? We've never been in this situation before. For sure. On just a high level, no trauma, you know, yeah. no character weakness issues. It's just in general family to family. How are we going to live and how do we want to have a relationship? And then all these deeper layers that would come up. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I remember us talking about back then too was because you would only, it, it literally needed to be a life or death situation in your world to ask for help, which, (laughs) right. Like that gave that one friend one opportunity. And if you don't meet that need at that one emergency level, Mm -hmm. like they had one shot to prove their loyalty to you. Yeah. Do you remember that? Remember those conversations? Prove to me who they are and who they're going to be. Which is so like, it's cutthroat. Unreasonable, right? Oh, it's intense. So, like that one day I had this other family emergency and I couldn't help you in that one hour of need mm-hmm. and it's over, right? And yeah. so I remember us laughing about that. I mean, yeah. we definitely laugh about it now looking back. <laughs> probably wasn't very funny in the moment, but right, I think I just even I remember reassuring you, like, ask me more, like give me more opportunities, give me the room and the freedom mm-hmm. to not always be able to meet your need in that moment. Like if I couldn't but you would know my heart. Like, and in general, I'm committed to you and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And if there was truly a death emergency, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be there for you. Mm. But on those little ways, can you ask me for help? And it really is okay to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Like, was Oh, that- for sure. And it's funny even saying it out loud because I am in such a different place that I like cringe. Like I, I cringe at people who have been following me for a while listening to that part but it's it is real like it's the ugliest part of myself and i i'm tearing up (laughs) for those of you who can see because it just man it's so real when you're in that space but then i hear her say it now and i'm like duh like Mm. duh if you don't ask for help like until once in a blue moon then the odds of people being able to prove their commitment to you is very slim. Yeah. You know, like it just, you're relying on a whole bunch of other independent factors to be like at play perfectly in order to create the space for that person to be able to say yes. Yeah. And it's not a true judge of the person's commitment to you. But that's what I was using it as. I was, I would never ask for help. And if I did need help, it was like I had exhausted options A through Z. And so literally, we are at the end of any other option. I am at the max of how much money I can spend. I'm at the max for how much I can physically labor in this Mm -hmm. situation. I am at the max for how much mentally I can take. I have literally maxed out every single option and now I'm asking for their help. And it could have been like, I mean, at that point in my life, my asking for help was so extreme that it really could have been once every like several months, if not like the first time I've ever asked for help in a relationship. And so For me, it was like magnified because I've always showed up. Like I would sacrifice so much to be there for my friends and my family. And 
you know, I'm not saying that those people hadn't been there for me, but like in an emergent situation, I would never ask for help until I was in that situation. And then, you know, reasonably, understandably, they couldn't always say yes. That one time. And that (laughs) one time it was so hurtful. It was so significant. Yeah. You know, and I think I hear myself talking about it and I, it, I I just have to ask you too, because like to me, it's like, wow, like that girl is so damaged. Mm. You know, like that girl is so needy to me. Like she comes across as weak. Like I'm talking about myself in third person, mm. like this past person, but you are so committed to her. Mm. Like, why? Mm. You know, like I think I do need you to actually answer that. Yeah. It's a good question. I think because it was just so clear of, I wanted you to be freed from that. I didn't look at you from that place that there was something wrong with you. It wasn't personal. It wasn't personal to me. Mm. Right. Like, I think it was obvious to know that because of the things that you've gone through, that that's what was like, that sort of was the nature, Mm. no, the nurture. I always get those mixed up the nurturing that you got, right? That was, that was just a bold-faced lie. Mm. And I had no problem standing in that space with you to pull you away from that, Mm. right? Like you had already shown your, I mean, you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to do anything. You're just my sister and I love you. See, even hearing you say that right now, like the track that is tempted to play in my head, I'm, I'm in a different place right now. So I can see it more clearly, but the track that's tempted to play is I want to rewrite that. Like I, my immediate temptation is to question how I can manufacture or I can produce for you to want me Mm. or to, to love me that space. I am much more comfortable in, but in the space that you're just here because of who I am, not what I am producing. Yeah. I am immediately fearful of that. Yeah. Well, and even, you know, when you asked the question, as I was listening to myself answer the question, I immediately wanted to go into performance, mm-hmm. right? Like I kind of bought right into that trap myself of like, oh, wow. well, how did you perform so that it was easy for me? And mm-hmm. then I was like, as I was talking through, right? Like nothing. Mm-hmm. It just was clear that and how hard it is for us to just be okay with innate value, right? Like we're so naturally uncomfortable as human beings to just believe it because mm. that's just who we are mm. and we want to earn and we want to perform. And it's so uncomfortable for us to be in that space. And I think that when we have created that, um, when we can break free from lies or old ways, right? Of decisions we mm. made when we were kids, Mm-hmm. We get to be new people and we get to build new relationships and create a new space for ourselves to believe in who we are and have strength is just amazing, mm-hmm. right? And to see how the, how much you have grown and overcome in that in your own life is so inspiring. Yeah, I think it definitely took so much time. And what is true 
is that those feelings are real, right? And it is okay to be in that space, right? Like you cannot help it. It's an immediate trauma response. Yeah. But walking through that cycle, like now I get the decision to stop, consider, and, you know, if you're following through on consider, consider what's true and just take people at face value because What's also true is that I bought into a narrative so early on in my life. Yeah. And like when you're a kid, right? Like I think my first childhood memory, I was probably around five where I bought into this narrative that I am what I produce. And I can just remember like watching my biological mom And we would be in these emergent situations, you know, like we either didn't have enough money for food. I can't tell you how many times we went to a food pantry or our electricity was cut off in the middle of the winter in Michigan. And at the time where she also had a really hard time asking people for help. And at that point, when she would ask people for help, people who had been around for a while, who we'd done so much stuff for, I watched her serve them or give to them in different ways, would just, after she asked for help in this emergent situation, just disappear. And as a kid, like, I remember thinking, like, that's what happens when you ask people for help. Like that is the story, the narrative that I bought into that I chose to replay for my entire life. Yeah. And I think even not just watching that happen with my mom, but um, you know, the, the other adults in my life, you know, or parental figures in my life, would if I asked for something it took a while for me to get the courage to ask I had an uh, abusive stepdad and I remember he you didn't know how he was going to respond to things and so you just I learned to suppress those needs and people don't want to hear what you need they don't care so you either can take care of take care of it yourself figure out a way a solution on your own or struggle. Yeah. And that's a hard narrative to rewrite. Yeah. But I think what's powerful in the space that we're in right now is that we are rewriting the narrative. I think the first time in my life that I had ever gotten to a point where I even trusted anyone enough to not abandon me, it was our family, our adoptive family. And The only people in my life, like, I don't even know if there's anyone before them. Like, friendships in my mind don't count because they aren't, there's no skin in the game, you know. But family, it was so hard until our adoptive family. And mom and dad were the first people in my entire life before you and us working on our relationship to this degree that I felt like my needs are going to be met Mm. and I am not going to be abandoned because I have needs. That was the first time, the first relationship I remember believing that. And so our relationship is just one more, you know, opportunity for me to buy into that where I can choose to rewrite the narrative. Yeah. And I think once you get there, I think that's where you find the freedom. That's where you can finally find the freedom. But you have to be willing to rewrite 
a narrative and buy into the possibility that maybe the story that you were sold on when you were five or seven or 10. It's not the one that you need to live by today. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to leave you a template for you in the show notes for those of you who want to explore the deeper roots of your own locked energy. So join us for the next episode where we dive into classroom energy. And as always, if you need or you want to reach out to us with any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to email us at btwpodcastcontact at gmail.com. Until next time. Bye.